Good afternoon, Minja. Hi, hello from Las Vegas. How have you been? Hello from Miami, Florida. I've been good. It's been, oh, it's been a while. Yeah. Well, when, when did we met up last time? When did we meet up last time? I was in Vegas for SF Vegas a couple of weeks ago. Not, oh, I, re- I recommend people to visit Vegas, except not during July. <laughs> <laughs> because it's always over 100 degrees. Over 100 degrees, there's pent-up demand for everything right now. And as usual, there's pent-up demand for the most entertaining city in the world. <laughs> well, so I don't have a set agenda for this episode, but I know you're like the prop tech expert. So I'm going to let you to talk about whatever you want about prop tech. Do you want to hear what I have been up to? Yes, please. I have been super, super busy. That's why I haven't update my podcast for a month and my guest who I have booked for last week he postponed it that episode so now I really need this episode to be published so I can keep updating my podcast so people know that it's still around you know always great to collaborate and also fill up your last minute podcast request <laughs> that's that's how we do it How's your podcast doing? Do you want to tell people about your podcast? Yes, you should. Podcast is doing fine. We actually just launched our third series of Tangent, Tangent, PropTech, and the Future of Cities, where we tackle three main themes. We're going to be tackling the housing supply and affordability crisis. We're also going to be discussing the impact of remote work in real estate valuations and the future, you know, how is that impacting cities and communities? And we're also going to be, what's the third theme? The third theme is, well, we're going to speak about the great tech correction, which some of people are calling it .com 2.0, but don't call it that. <laughs> and what's the, what's the last theme? Open door. Oh, well, we're going to talk about open door today because I feel that's been a, that's been a hot topic. Yeah. Um, why don't we start with that? I heard something about that from the news, but I don't know too much details about it. Why don't we start with that topic? So Open Door, the the big buyer or the biggest iBuying company out there of single family homes. So they've been growing quite a bit. As of this taping, they're valued under $4 billion, publicly traded company. I mean, they have great venture capital back, backing them since the beginning and also BlackRock and Lennar, the second or third biggest builder of single family homes nationwide, actually also based here in Florida. But they've been on the news lately, some positive and some not so positive. Basically, since August started, they got fined by the FTC, um, no FTC, no, by the FCC. Who fined Open Door? Jason, a Chinese guy. Or, or an Asian guy? Open door FTC. That was right. Yeah. So the FTC fined them $62 million for misleading home sellers. This is like a direct quote from the regulator saying there's nothing innovative about cheating consumers. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, a couple of days later during their earnings call, they announced a partnership with Zillow. And just as a caveat here, Zillow was a, a competitor of, of Open Door when they had also their own iBuying business. And they folded that business and now they partnered with Open Door in what in, in what is in essence a lead generation play. So home sellers will be able to request offers uh from Open Door directly through Zillow. Wait, hold anyway, on I have a question. Yeah. Isn't it Zillow was trying to do something like that, like iBuying? 
by themselves. Exactly. So now now they they're were. partnering up with their competitor. They folded that business last yeah. year. Um, they actually recently got a class action lawsuit uh, from their investors. Oh, oh we got a guest, <laughs> an extra guest. He was looking for somebody, somebody else. Yeah, so so Zillow folded their iBuying business. And now they partner with Open Door, which I actually think is is a very you know has a lot of synergies. This partnership they could both benefit, as well as home sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so the stock since since their announcement, their stock is up over thirty percent since wow. the beginning of August, even though they got fined sixty two million dollars. Anyway, so it seems like the nar- in this case the narrative got ahead of the numbers. And and you know the narrative, the investors, the public market is is buying their narrative, but still, like in order to make the numbers work, let me just finish with this thought: they need to be selling around sixty thousand homes a year. Last year, they sold twenty five thousand homes. So we'll see how they get there. What is their narr- narrative? And was that the twenty something thousand homes by Open Door only, by Zillow only, or was that like together combined? That's them? only them. Yeah, so last year they sold twenty five thousand homes together. Um, combined the two. St- no, that's only Open Door, okay. not Zillow. The Zillow partnership sell? is brand new. I don't think I'm not sure exactly how many Zillow sold. I know they didn't sell enough because they folded completely their iBuying business, and they were actually offloading homes for pennies on the dollar because they couldn't renovate them at scale. They essentially, I think, what happened is that they they overestimated. There's estimate. There's estimates potential. Mm. There's estimate is how they assess homes home values remotely. And what are some of the other i buying i buying companies out there? We have Offerpad as well, also publicly traded. Listen, like I think i buying. Like, what do you think about i buying? Well, I'm not in the residential real estate, so that's why I don't know much about these kinds of stuff. That's why I'm as a, as a homeowner. You. That's why I invited you. Yeah. <laughs> That's why so my podcast is all about inviting experts to come and talk about their expertise. I'm just the person who set up the Zoom and put the mic and you so know published the episode. So modest, Minja. <laughs> I don't a, do a much well, wealth, wealth of knowledge. <laughs> so modest. I mean, I understand the appeal of of i buying. I think you know, providing convenience and a smooth yeah. closing. You know, without having to go through the traditional. That's yep often painful uncertain path of selling mm-hmm. a home uh but who does who does this apply to like is it someone in an emergency of funds that they need to sell fast so they don't mind taking you know a cash offer that is going to be in most cases below market or or is it someone that isn't price sensitive so they don't care too much about maximizing their equity they just don't want pain they want convenience and and I understand that yeah so who is this appealing to especially in a market in in the market that we're in. Mm, okay. And what is the next topic? After next open topic. Door? Yeah. Then oh, wait. and and besides open door, what are some of the other prop tech companies that have been on the headlines recently? And you mentioned about the the prop tech industry. There's a lot of sh- movements, shiftments going on. Yeah. I mean, I mean Airbnb which is, you know, I'm a big fan of Airbnb, big fan of their CEO, uh, Brian Chesky. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I was looking at some headlines about Airbnb, which it's, you know, it's just wild to see how far they've come. 
So they have, there's, there are more Airbnb listings right now on New York City than rental listings. Really? Um, wow. Which, which, you know, it's, you know, indicating that Airbnb is becoming one of the largest landlords in the world, you know, without owning any real estate. And also just, you know, just showing how, how much housing we, we need as well. More about Airbnb though, in their most recent quarter, they missed their number of bookings. However, they beat their revenue numbers. Mm -hmm. So it means they're commanding tremendous pricing power in, in housing. Yeah. I mean, and as the lines blur between short-term rentals, digital nomads, remote workers, you know, I think Airbnb is just going to become a, a more influential player in the housing industry as a whole. What do you think? Are you are you a big fan of Airbnb and their so, their proposition? I know in Las Vegas, the county is doing some kind of. I haven't followed this much, but they set sent out a survey on short term rental in un, unincorporated Clark County area, which includes the Las Vegas Strip. So. And then there are some restrictions on Airbnb, how many licensings that the county is going to issue. And in one residential neighborhood, like on one street, how many feet that two houses need to be distanced. You know, you cannot have two Airbnb homes right next to each other. So there are some limitations mm. on from the public policy sector that's been implementing in the Airbnb economy here in Clark County. And, you know, there's some pushback from, you know, HOA and homeowners that don't use their home as Airbnb, you know, that's their residency, not an investment property. So it is a pretty hot topic in Las Vegas, especially we're a tourism town and we know, you know, a lot of the tourists come here and, you know, some of them, they might not want to stay on the strip. I don't know why they wouldn't want to stay on the strip though. That's where all of the <laughs> infrastructure is at. I wonder um, why I can, I can imagine why. I mean, the strip is very appealing, depends what you're going for, but yeah, I mean, that's a good point you bring up. It's not the first time or last Airbnb will face regulatory risk or, or backlash from, from locals or from Mm -hmm. uh, you know, just the local uh, governments. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, could, you know, I was thinking also Airbnb came about from the last recession in 08, you know, so is Airbnb recession proof as a, as a concept, as a company, if we go into a recession or if we already are in one, I mean, I, I think homeowners are, might just be more inclined to list their bedrooms on Airbnb to, to make an extra buck if a recession comes. And so Airbnb could become more relevant then. I mean, there's just, and also there's a, you know, there's a lot of demand for tourism for travel now. So, you know, it's possible that we just see tourism shift to more affordable destinations outside the US potentially with having such a strong dollar now versus foreign currencies. So, you know, and Airbnb can just, you know, gain from all that additional supply that they could get from homeowners listing their, their bedrooms. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if people could also decide to cut back on travel and then Airbnb is not as recession-proof as, as we thought. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other prop tech companies that are in this sector? Depends on tourism, hospitality. and Yeah, there's so Sonder. For example, Sonder is a very interesting one. 
I think there were a SPAC, which I know by now that already has a, a connotation around it. Mm-hmm. But Sonder, I see it as a riskier model in the sense that they actually master lease oh, so they're apartments. Like, uh, they're like the WeWork of exactly. I, I, exactly. The we we work of residents. Uh, actually, we work had a had a we live division, and you can Google up what happened to that. Okay, um, we can anyway, talk about that later after this story. We can <laughs> talk about we work. But uh, basically, Sonder they provide a more standardized product because they master lease mm-hmm. entire stories, entire floors, or entire buildings. However, they're on the hook. Right. I don't know if they've done more property management plays where they essentially are a a furnished rental provider. So not as asset light as Airbnb, uh, but they they seem to be doing better these days, focusing on on business travel. So Sonder is another one to to look out for in the, you know, in the flex residential space. Mm -hmm. And what's happening with WeWork? Well, what's happening with WeWork? I don't know. You tell me. I think their model, you know, they're they're still they're still were overvalued back in 2018 when they were supposed mm-hmm. to go public for 40, 50, 60 billion dollars. But flex space, flex office space is is here to stay. I mean, more mm-hmm. than ever. Mm-hmm. I think they provide a good product, and and you know, companies don't want to commit for five, ten year office leases. And and what else? I have noticed that there have been a lot of co-working space companies like smaller ones the newer ones that have been popping up all over you know the world so it is a business model that can be easily copied and paste that's right yeah i mean what we work has done well is that they have scaled it like mm-hmm. you know they're they're a they're a global brand yeah. They're they're almost a verb, I would say, you know, when when a when a tech company becomes a verb, you know, like Zoom, mm-hmm. you know, Zoom is is a is a verb now in our vocabulary. So, we work, yeah, I think when people refer to co-working, we work is the first thing that comes to mind or when they're referring to a, a competitor and they are like, "Oh yeah, it's a, it's like a we work." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I you know, I I, I not sure how they have how much they have improved their unit of economics, but I think you know the pandemics pretty much proved that it's here to stay. At least flex office space is is demand is not going anywhere anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Any other interesting tech companies you have been seeing recently? Any any prop tech companies started during the pandemic? Sure, I'm sure a ton, maybe, but yeah, too, er- too the, early, too early to receive, uh, some of the uh, you know, ones press. But let me see. I mean, I something that didn't come out of COVID, but I I'm a big fan of a company called Cul-de-Sac, which they're building in Arizona, the first car-free neighborhood in the U.S. Ooh. So they're more of a a real estate developer, but you know, they're essentially putting together a concept. Uh, well, they already broke ground in in Tempe, Tempe, Arizona. Tampa, yeah. Tempe, Tempe. Tempe? Yeah, yeah, Tempe. Just south of Scottsdale. Yeah, you should check it out. You're not far away, actually. Anyway, it's a car-free city, and and they want to include like in the rent, like some bicycle credits, or you know, make it really walkable for for digital nomads to to live, work, and play there.
Okay. I mean, Jack. Oh, hi. He's not here yet. Oh, okay. Welcome. Sorry. What's what's been on your plate, Ninja? Tell us. You've been, you know, I'm sure the, your audience has been missing uh, you, what what you've been working on, what you've been focusing on. So I've been really busy with ULI Nevada, putting up programming together. I just started. Me and a few other architects and planners in town. We started a sustainable committee, a sustainable development committee within ULI Nevada, and. The more senior people appointed me to be the committee chair to do the legwork. You know, it's always the young people who do the legwork. That's right. So I put a five-page plan together about the vision of this sustainable development committee and how can we build a more uh, healthy, resilient, and high-performing community in Southern Nevada or in Nevada as a state. And some of the topics that I've been working on, some of the events that I've been setting up is one is a sustainability tour, a back of a house tour of one of the hotels on the strip. That would be really interesting. It's a mega resort. And then another topic is modular construction. I think there's the Modular Construction Association. And, And then also invited... Yeah, I invited them and a real estate developer was also involved in that association. So they will do a talk and also give us a tour of a factory, a manufacturing factory, a warehouse of their product. And then another event is the city of Las Vegas released their 2050 master plan not last year. So we're going to go to the city hall and listen to a presentation about this master plan because the city of Las Vegas is very innovative and they include a lot of the sustainability elements within their master plan, public transportation and technology. Prop tech is one of them, urban tech. So all of those things that they will be very educational and informational to URI members. So I'm putting that together. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine the plan includes how are we going to get water into yes. Las Vegas by 2050. Yes. So, yes, we will definitely have events surrounding climate change issue, the water issue, a lot of environmental topics. And we'll be collaborating with other associations in town and municipalities, local municipalities, and the federal level, because a lot of the things, in order for us to push sustainable development sometimes we need the public policy to do that too absolutely to have that private public partnerships right right are the only way yeah to have that energy behind behind the initiative so we will have roundtable discussions with policymakers and you know the local government you know at the local and federal level so all of these discussions would be very interesting and everybody very exciting. To, yeah, everybody wants to learn and know what's happening with the water issue. I mean, I already know the answer, but I need to set up these events so our members and the general public and the professionals in our industry can know the answer too. Absolutely. Yeah. No, and I mean Las Vegas, I think 
you know, it, it can only it can only get better. It feels now that it's not that it before it wasn't a real city, but before it, it was more it felt more like, you know, people go in, people go out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's just a, a wave of people going in and, and staying. So I think that's yeah. that's exciting when, when it happens. Yeah. What else? What else? Another thing I noticed is well, another thing I'm trying to incorporate in all of the programmings that I do locally here for some of the associations is to make people to make people in our industry to think beyond just the four walls of the building. Commercial real estate is heavily tied to the economy, public policy, you know, placemaking, urban planning, land use, and there's a lot of legislations that are involved when it comes to land use, zoning, building codes, so design architecture. So all of these things that we need to have all of the stakeholders to come and sit down at a round table and really trying to figure out what are the challenges and what are the solutions, opportunities that we can do to make our community better. So Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. I mean, in terms of zoning and land use, I couldn't think, you know, there's so many moving parts when it comes to real estate development and, mm-hmm. you know, cr- creating resilient communities that, you know, make people want to live there, work there and and spend there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and zoning and, and land land use reform is probably one thing that most, most, part, most parts of, of the U.S. and the world could benefit from. I haven't personally been to Houston, Texas, but it seems like they are doing some very interesting stuff since they got rid of their zoning and i don't know you know if it's correlation or causation but i just looked at one cbre report and houston tops the list in metro areas with most growth in construction in commercial real estate Mm -hmm. and yeah so whatever the city of houston is doing in terms of stimulating development and attracting the workers and and people to live there Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, seems like something that we could get more creative because like you said, the commercial real estate is, is much more than the four walls. Yeah. And also another thing that I've been, and one of the other things that I've been working on is to put a presentation together about climate change. And I'm involved with this local nonprofit and we're going to do set up presentations to educate business owners in town of A, how is climate change impacting the business community? And B, what are some of the challenges that they are facing in their industry that we should know and be aware of and gather all of these feedbacks and send it to legislators and municipalities and say, here are some of the hurdles that are preventing businesses to become more sustainable and environmental friendly. So I want to make these conversation a two-way communication because I know sometimes, you know, people don't like to be taught and by outsiders who are not in their industry. If, and the business community is a, big part of our you know economy and what makes you know our city running and there's a lot of things that we can work 
and with collaboration, collaborate with them to get some really good ideas of how to make our community better and our built environment better. But yeah, I, I want to be I want to be the listener. And I like to listen first before I tell them what to do. You know? That's good. That's that's probably a good mantra for life in general. But especially when you're trying to solve very complex problems like sustainability within the real estate and the business community. I came across a company that I'm hoping to host in this series of Tangent upcoming mm -hmm. that is looking to make buildings uh, the energy generators and energy storage of the future. Oh. Essentially, I mean, as some of us, some of you may know, the real estate industry is the biggest contributor. Mm -hmm. to greenhouse gas emissions yep. mm -hmm. more than cows mm -hmm. uh, and basically there's this company trying to you know turn the the problem into a solution which is you know instead of buildings generating you know contributing to uh, global warming then they'll become generators of power and help with storage and help with basically improve the efficiencies around there yeah, I think a lot of the solutions can come will come out from the innovative technology that we'll be seeing in the next decade. I don't know, in like in the future. I like the optimist thinking. <laughs> well, I hope that will happen, so we are not going backward. Yeah, I mean the you know the progress, human progress has never been linear. Sometimes we take a step or two back before we keep going forward. But yes, I think we'll be. In the overall, we'll be we'll be fine. We'll figure it out. At least we'll for innovate ourselves out of our own creation. <laughs> At least for an innovative city like Las Vegas, our our mission is to get things done. We get things done much quicker than some of the larger cities, like our Absolutely. neighbor LA. That's a benefit. Yeah. So, no, that's. I mean, you're you're comparing. I mean, you know, even though Vegas already started, what? 90 years ago you know, you're still a startup mm -hmm. yeah, yeah the hoover dam what 1930s mm -hmm. basically you are a startup compared to los angeles in terms of how nimble you are and how fast you can move yeah so it's like a perfect analogy between when a startup beats you know a, an incumbent yeah uh, yeah if if we can become i mean we have become the new sports city in america within the past five years then that means we can do anything. You have become a, a sports destination for sure. And not only for sports gambling, but also for watching, which is, I think is fascinating. And I do think the the future of Vegas relies a lot on, on entertainment, not necessarily only on gambling. Mm -hmm. I guess gambling counts as entertainment for some, <laughs> but yeah, just entertainment in general with the biased caveat of mine which is you're not gonna be a host city for the world cup in 2026 which i'm kind of disappointed so i i know the story about that one and it's because you have to think about the leadership the leadership and i'm not going to talk about any of this but there was you know staff changing staffing you know it was during the middle of the transition of some of the staffs at the LVGA, the Las Vegas Visitors and Convention Authority, and they're the ones who, they're like the master brain of these mega international tournaments. And Not a soccer fan, clearly. And, <laughs> and bring these events to Las Vegas. But when the World Cup 
asked for application, I think a few years ago, the CEO just became on board on LVGA. So he was still new to his job. So, so that's why there was, you know, it, it yeah. takes time to get used to, to figure out the operation system and, and look at the economic benefits of, is it worth a paying the World Cup a certain amount of money and how much economic impact that we can get as a city? And does Las Vegas right. need to be one of them? Are people coming to Las Vegas already with or without a soccer game? Yeah. And do we need to pay people to come and host a soccer game? I think they should pay us to come and host a soccer game. Look, look, look at the way the cities they need already... to pay. I'm not sure that uh, the cities need yeah, to pay I mean, of course. to host the World Cup. Uh, just like the Olympic Games, there's always a trade off. You know, when you, it's like when cities apply to be the host city for the Olympics. I mean, they submit right, an application no, it, and they, they will, share. They will have to, yeah, they will have to make some structural, maybe, improvements. But like, I, if, if there is a city that is ready to host massive, you know, events overnight, that's Las Vegas. The I other know, thing that I was I thinking, it's, it's usually in the summer. Earth, but but there are uh, like how many it's, cities? It's in the is summer. Host? Oh, okay, in the summer. Well, it's an indoor stadium, but no, not an indoor stadium. But they have the roof that can be closed and have the AC. But how many cities are hosting the World Cup 2026? Like 14, 15 cities. Okay, Las Vegas, if you're going to host the World Cup, we have to be the only one. I'm not going I'm not going to allow Vegas well, that's to be one not, of the 14. We're one of the 14. No, we, we want to be the one. We want to be the one. We're talking about soccer, the biggest biggest sports on earth with all the respect to uh all I know, sports fans. I know. Okay, who else is Kansas City? Is Kansas City one of them? I think I saw it looks like okay, Kansas come City on, is fun, guys. Yeah. Like, you have to give to... the Midwest a city. There there's some solid soccer fans in Kansas. So, um, so you're saying that people are willing to travel to Kansas, not Vegas, to see a soccer game. And what if, I'm saying is I think people will go to both if their team is playing there. And I think people will still go to Vegas because exactly. there's Los Angeles and San Francisco. as. Right. Uh, so you're right there. Yeah, maybe we don't need to pay the World Cup to become one of the hosting city. Wherever they host in the U.S., people will fly to Vegas because we're Vegas. That's right. This is this like is a your, very your, biased podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, at least we're transparent about it. But uh, this is fun, Ninja. I mean, great, if you, if, great if you look uh, at the, medicine to end the week. If you look at the cover picture of my podcast, it's the skyline of Las Vegas. Like we're being very yeah, yeah. transparent, guys. This is a very biased po- podcast. <laughs> you you know you know what you came for. If Ninja's on the podcast, you know what you're gonna, you know what you're in for. Oh, well, how, how what else is going on with your with your world in Miami? Wait, how is how is Miami doing in terms of the rising sea level problem? Are there any prop tech companies out there that are solving these kind of issues like rising sea level or climate change? Mm, good question. We should hire some Dutch. The Dutch figured out pretty well in Amsterdam with their canals. I'm not sure. Well, I haven't come across. Uh, a startup that is trying to specifically solve it in Florida. I'm sure there's a ton out there trying to, yeah, but what is it going to be like? Are we going to, we're not going to move the buildings, even though I've seen some amazing technology of moving the buildings. I think we're just going to have to coexist with water uh, because water is not stopping for us. Yeah. 
I'm not an expert, but it sounds like it's turning to Vince coexist with water. Vince, what's Vince? Venice. Ah, Venice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, like Amsterdam, like Venice. Although Venice, I think Venice is having also some some trouble with uh, ever rising water, but they've had that issue for a while. Florida is just a, a a swamp. I mean, like the the bedrock here is not not really there. There's still amazing buildings, but you know, just the entire middle of Flor of Florida, like not neither of the coast. It's just it's just all swamp. If it rains, you know, you just little rain you you'll get the streets already flooded mm. so the reason why we started the sustainable development committee is because and i have this vision that i think we can make las vegas like the sustainable development thought leadership brainstorming hub because we are the city that is facing heat island effect and drought and you know a bunch of these environmental issues and People will want to hear from Las Vegas, like what are you guys doing to resolving the water issue? Las Vegas actually is the leading city in the world of water infrastructure and how efficient that we use water. You don't read this on mainstream on on media headlines, but over ninety percent of the water we use it goes back to Lake Mead. The water that we lose are the ones that got gets evaporated. And those are not. I did not know that. And if because you don't read this we, on headlines on media. We we need this on the headlines. We need we need some data around that. And need, oh, there's uh, what, plenty of research reports on these government website on these research agencies reports. There's like you know go to Southern Nevada Water Authority. It, it will tell you all of the facts that about Lake Mead and the resorts are not the ones that are wasting water. The Venetian has its own wheel. That the Venetian has its own water cleaning. Venetian and we, inspired in Venice, I assume. So they already knew what was coming. They uh, they, they use their own water. The Bellagio Fountain, the Bellagio has its own water wipe using its own underground water beneath the the Bellagio. So the Bellagio Fountain is not using water from the Lake Mead. Everybody, nice. every time when there's a headline about. Las Vegas, Lake Mead is dying. We're all dying. We're all going to, you know, the world is ending. And then everybody complains about, oh, what about the Bellagio Fountain? What about the resort? What about? It's just I was about to say something that it's like, first of all, it's it's visually very compelling and easy to remember. And the in a pro, in a world where we have abundance of data and so much, you know, the like, you know, we have we're we've been collecting a ton of data. And what we need to do a better job at is presenting it and more importantly, visualizing the data in a compelling way so we can, you know, not only convince the public sector, but also real estate developers and traditional business owners and, and everyone at large that, you know, that the data we have is is telling the story that, that we wanted to say. The problem is people don't like to read. People don't like to spend time Of course time not. No one, to... that's... But that people, makes sense. No one likes to go through data that it looks boring. People like visually compelling. People like the Bellagio fountain. People don't like to spend their time to read and gather correct information. They would rather to trust some memes on Twitter or Facebook and 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 click the share button and then spread misleading information. 
and that's that's how the world it is now. It's just negative news, clickbait headlines spread faster than yeah. The negative news, news thing. I don't, I don't know if the negative news thing we're gonna get rid of in any way. That's I feel that's something more like human than anything. However, I I do welcome a couple of interesting updates. Like the other day, I was gonna retweet an article mm-hmm. uh, that I had already read. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, but I hadn't read it through Twitter. And when I was about to hit retweet, it asked me, "Do you or it prompt me? Do you want to read it before you share it?" Mm. So it's not a bulletproof solution, but it's definitely a move in the right direction. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because we're pe- it's too easy to to share and. So yeah. I commend Twitter for that move. Yeah, um, but that being said, we still need to do a lot more in 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 water in solving the water issue. I would hope they will. Oh, yeah. They need to fix the 1930s Colorado River agreement, like among a few states here, how we divide the water from the Colorado River. The rule was set in 1930s when Vegas was in the middle of nowhere, a small little tiny town that we nobody knew who we are and and that was you know 60 50 years before those mega resorts pop out so right that rule is a hundred years old almost yeah and I imagine how much how much <laughs> vegas has changed from you know in 1950s with these little older casinos to you know the mirage the first integrated casino resort to you know the Bellagio, three thousand rooms, three thousand rooms for one hotel, and you have the Venetian and Plaza. Those two hotels combined have seven thousand rooms, and then yeah. the population boom because of the booming hospitality industry in the nineties and early two thousands before the before the global financial crisis. Our population boom, master planned community development, Summerlin started developed in early 1990s for that reason it was the population boom and now you have another population boom during the pandemic where these Californians are done with California and they want to move to a cheaper cities like Las Vegas so that Colorado River agreement is outdated and it needs to be yeah. updated no but I think like you said Las Vegas is positioned to be a uh, you know potentially a leader in in how to do sustainable development in such conditions. And another place that comes to mind that maybe they could do a partnership somehow is Israel, which is a country in the in the middle of the desert as well. And they've had a ton of irrigation, like Mm -hmm. innovation around irrigation and how to just, you know, not only create housing and cities, but also how to grow food in the desert. Mm. I'm not I'm not suggesting Vegas should invest in growing food in the desert, but uh, definitely, you know, a lot of innovation, yes. uh, you know, out of, out of necessity, out of yes. pure necessity of survival. Yeah, we can turn challenges into opportunities and come up with some innovative solutions. We can yep. be the the hub of, we can be known for innovation. That's what That's Vegas right. has been. We're the city of innovation. We have, we always evolve. Hashtag InnoVegas. You can trademark that. Inno Vegas. I like that. Well, I'm going to tell. I'm, bu- I'm buying that domain right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell the local municipality to like use that as tagline on their website. I'm going to that that 
that's a great in the Vegas. Love it. What was I going to say about Las Vegas? Oh, there's so many other things I want to say, but I don't remember. You'll come back maybe next episode. <laughs> All right. So, anything else I would like to touch on before we finish this episode? This has been an absolute blast, Ninja. Great to see you now on the line. And yeah, uh, looking forward to our next encounter, either in person or over the internet. Wait, hold on. Eddie, have you done any episode about modular construction yet? I actually have. I hosted a CEO of Full Stack Modular, Roger Krulak. Full Stack Modular based out of Brooklyn. They were the ones who developed the Barclays Center where the Brooklyn Nets play in Brooklyn. Okay, yeah. They also developed a building on Dean Street, which at the time was the tallest modular building in the United States. Yeah, I think, I mean, in terms of, I know there's still a lot of red tape when it comes to approvals and permits. And there's still also some questions around the long term, like how, you know, what will happen in, in 30, 40 years with modular construction and, and what the maintenance or rehab cost will look like. Mm-hmm. However, with, you know, with the cost of, of labor nowadays, mm-hmm. with the cost of materials and supply chain issues. Mm-hmm. Even though I just saw a headline that says the lumber prices fell by 60-70%, it's still, you know, constructing houses and, and buildings is more expensive and slower than ever. Mm-hmm. So modular can only help alleviate that. Yeah. And what about mass timber? The city of Las Vegas just approved a yes. a code to build mass timber up to nine stories tall in the city of Las Vegas I think jurisdiction. That's wonderful. I think cross-laminated timber, if I'm not mistaken, CLT is what the material is called or, or one of the most popular ones. So in Europe, they've been building these, these buildings for, for a while now. In the US, they have a bad rap because we think they're not like they're not going to sustain fires. I'm not an expert in the field, but I do know we have overcome those obstacles in other countries. So I don't see why the US would be any different. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, though. Nine-story yeah. cross-laminated timber buildings. I'll take it. Mm-hmm. They're sustainable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will I will research more about these topics and put a programming together for my for for the sustainable development committee. Super interesting. And are you coming to Blueprint in Las Vegas next month? It's on my calendar. It's a it's a definitely maybe, but okay. it's a good one. Yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Hope to see you there. And if not, I'm sure you'll report back. <laughs> Or just follow my Instagram stories. That's right. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Eddie, for coming to the podcast today. And before we finish, let's take a screenshot for our thumbnail. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Changing your background. Oh, look at that. Okay. One, two, three. Yay. Thank you. And I look forward to catch you to catch up with you again in person in either in Vegas or Miami. That's right. Looking forward and, to it, Minja. Great And we have you. to go ski. We have to go ski to get in Utah. That's right. In the winter. It's happening. Yep. Bye. Thank you. Ciao. Ciao.